Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America, as we are broadcasting live today from the Northern Corn and Soy Expo in Fargo, North Dakota. Happy to be here at the show this year and happy to have you along for the conversation here today on AOA. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We've got a packed show coming up here. We're going to talk markets in just a second with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Coming up in segment two, we're going to sit down and talk with John Jansen from the United Soybean Board and Neil Kasky from the National Corn Growers Association. In segment three, I have a conversation that uh, we want to hear with Montana Democratic Senator John Tester. Had the combo back on Friday, finally getting a chance to bring it to you. We're going to play that coming up here after the bottom of the hour. Really good conversation with Senator Tester. And then we're going to wrap the show back here at the Northern Corn and Soy Expo as well with a few more conversations. So a lot to get to on today's AOA. I need to take just a second, though, here at the beginning of the program today. And uh, for many folks, the news, uh, hearing the news uh, midday on Monday, the passing of former Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and former USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Um, really shocked and saddened to hear that news. Uh, agriculture has lost a, a titan, a, a fierce champion, uh, in my opinion. And Bill is someone I've known my entire uh, farm broadcasting career. In fact, he was one of my first interviews uh, as a young broadcaster starting in Iowa. I remember this very fondly. Uh, driving down a dead-end dirt road to uh, a nutrient uh, reduction strategy uh, site and interviewing Bill and taking pictures and, and all those things. And he was always so kind uh, and, and so cordial and warm and over the years got to know him very, very well. And always uh, his phone was always open for a conversation. And little did I know that uh, back in September we had him on AOA and uh, little did I know he, that would be the last time I would talk to Bill. Uh, so again, thoughts and prayers to his family and his loved ones. Bill Northey uh, passing away on Monday. Definitely a true loss for the agriculture industry. All right. With that, let's get to the show. Joining us now for Markets, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I am doing well, Jesse, and a very nice tribute there uh, to Mr. Northey. Well done. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Definitely a, a titan in agriculture, that is yes. for sure. Darren, uh, what are we looking at markets here this week? You know, I, I kind of look at the markets on Tuesday, at least to start. Pretty quiet, two-sided mm -hmm. action. have to wonder if uh, maybe this trade is just kind of kind of churning around here with little news to drive things. Darren, what do you think? We're, we're in, you know, as far as South America goes, this is the dog days of summer, you know, the equivalent of August up here. And there's there's just not a lot of fresh news at this point. We've got we've got Brazilian soybeans making their way to port. We've got basis weakness uh, in, uh, you know, as that happens, we've got some you know very little market movement going on here. I think that the biggest right now, the, the most bullish factor we have in U.S. grain markets is all these funds are short all of the major markets and 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 in, and in soybeans they went to a record large net short futures position last week a week ago and so you know we've got the goldman roll coming up this is when the goldman sachs fund rolls its positions from the from the nearby contract out next uh and so if they're in the march contract you know they're going out to may possibly out to july so, so we've got that going on we've got that where it could skew the markets here over the coming days um but by and large there's just there's nothing fundamental there's no real change going on in the market right now well and in terms of south american weather i mean that seems to be one of the the few talking points in this market right now otherwise i mean you know watching some of the economic news and more i mean we had a high dollar to start the week mm -hmm. have to think that's a, a headwind here um and really Man, I, I'm hearing a lot of conversations from folks. It just feels like this boat has gotten heavily bearish on us. All the weight's going to one side right now, Darren. Uh, yeah, that, that is that is most of the chatter. Um, it's not necessarily the reality, though. 
if we again, as I've said, you know, the most bullish factor is the fact of how of how you know the large positions uh, in, by, held by funds or future positions. But you know, we can look out. To me, the key to the soybean market is that May July spread, and you know, it, it was flirting with posting a new uh, you know high daily new care, high daily close of mm -hmm. ten and a quarter cents uh, for carry, but then it backed away from it. So. You know, it's telling us the commercial side still not convinced that we're going to have this huge amount of supplies in, in relation to demand. Not that we have like up front right now. So it's saying, you know, even though we we see most of the export demand up through the end of February, usually this year could be pushed back a little bit. Uh, and that would be due to a uh, smaller production than expected, not critically, but a smaller production than expected in Brazil. Yeah, and and I know you know we're seeing a lot of private estimates out there right now too, uh, Darren. They're all over the board in terms of that Brazil soy production. And you know, I, I know we have a USDA report coming up, and I know your fondness for USDA reports, Darren. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see if they they make any sort of adjustment to their their number because we know that it's going to play it play a role in the market here coming up later in the week, of course. Yeah, for, for all those folks who are interested in pre-report estimates and USDA, and I've got a I've got a mountaintop villa in South Central Kansas. Uh, it's it's got a perfect view of both oceans. It's a great location. I'd be happy to sell it to you because um, obviously you'll buy anything. There there's no validity at all to these numbers. I mean, what, what's the market telling us? We've got basis weakening in in Brazil. We've got basis flat here in the United States. We've got funds loading up on shorts. This is this is the reality. I mean, yeah, will will the markets move on in imaginary numbers? Absolutely. But the reality is markets aren't going to change that much. How about uh, as you look at the energies too, uh, mm -hmm. and I know we've been watching some of the escalation in the Middle East, uh, kind of it's simmering over there, uh, but energies, crude's not really moving that much. Is there anything to keep an eye on there as we go through the week? Yeah, what's interesting in the crude oil market is this is the time of year, again, seasonally, when crude oil tends to go up and it's not doing it. In fact, it had a big sell off last week. And when we see a contra seasonal move, that means that something has changed fundamentally. And, you know, in you know, if we want to look at the fundamentals, I mean, the U.S. just continues to produce more crude oil. Uh, if I recall the story, it has now become the world's largest uh, crude oil producer. This is something that's completely and so it has changed the market. And right now, got the market in a bit of a contra-seasonal downturn. So now, that being said, heating oil also, or diesel also tends to move higher this time of year. So I think from a from a farmer point of view, from, from a U.S. ag point of view, we really need to keep a close eye on that distillates market, on that diesel fuel market, if it's going to either follow crude oil and go lower, or because of increased demand, if you know, heading into the spring and summer, if it starts to move higher. So certainly something to watch here over the coming week. Well, Darren, appreciate the time. And uh, I appreciate you letting me uh, do a tribute there at the beginning of the show. Absolutely. I know that took a little bit of our conversation time, but always appreciate you being on the show, Darren. We will talk to you next week. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart, joining us. And coming up next on AOA, we'll be back here at the Northern Corn and Soy Expo. We'll talk with John Jansen from the United Soybean Board and Neil Kasky from the National Corn Growers Association. They join us next on AOA, Agriculture of America. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network.
Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. Yikes! So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA as we broadcast live from the Northern Corn and Soy Expo at the Red River Valley Fairgrounds, a new location this year in Fargo, North Dakota. Happy to be here in the Northern Plains. Beautiful weather going on this week. Uh, definitely not what you expect in February in Fargo and uh, great attendance here at the show and uh, a lot of great folks speaking here today at the show. And two of those gentlemen who are going to be speaking in just a little bit joining me right now on AOA, Neil Kasky, CEO of the National Corn Growers Association. Neil, it's great to see you again. Yeah, Jesse, uh, good to see you uh, again, too. I know last week you were down in, in Orlando. I don't know if this uh, quite uh, measures up to that kind of weather, but I was here two years ago in the middle of a blizzard. And so this feels like Orlando in North Dakota to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember that blizzard yeah. two years ago. That was, I'm I remember I had to rent the last rental car I could find in Fargo and drive to Minneapolis to catch a flight. <laughs> That's I, I, how fun I, that was. I'll tell you, I, I developed a, a, a deep and profound respect for North Dakotans yes. on that uh, on that day. So yes, glad I, to be here. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, your partner in crime with you today as well, John Jansen, Vice President of Oil Strategy with the United Soybean Board. John, it's great to see you again as well. How you doing? I'm great. Great. It's wonderful to see you. We got a we got a good breakfast here at the expo, and you know, coffee and uh, conversation. A lot of folks are here in attendance, like I mentioned, and I know you guys are going to be on the main stage here uh, a little bit later this uh, morning, and uh, talking about the quartered soybean checkoffs. And I know that obviously the quartered soy checkoffs do a lot of work. There are there have been some folks who've been attacking the checkoffs and things like that, and I mean we can we can get into that or not in our conversation. But talk about a little bit of what you guys are going to be highlighting for farmers and ranchers in attendance here today. Neil, why don't you go ahead and start from the corn side? Sure, and and we're a little different on on the corn side in that NCGA we are a federation of our states, and so yeah. you know there isn't necessarily a, a corn checkoff, but there's a a, a bunch of corn checkoffs uh, like they have here. Uh, in North Dakota. And, you know, they do a lot of the, the great work from a market development standpoint, from you know, developing new uses um, and just, uh, you know, researching uh, production problems, et cetera, um, that, uh, that corn farmers need them uh, to do. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, what we're focused on at a national level, you know, obviously uh, it's about demand creation. You know, we are, are looking at uh, more than a, a, a 2 billion bushel uh, carryover. 
uh, for in, in the corn world. And so um, so we've got our work cut out for us and making sure that uh, you know, obviously that we can create some demand for, for all that corn. We have uh, proven over time uh, that come rain or shine, the American farmer is going to produce an amazing crop. Uh, we've seen that the last two years of a drought and you know, going back to 2019, we had floods uh, and we continue year over year to produce uh, an outstanding crop. And so, um, you know, the um, the it's incumbent upon us uh, at the national level to ensure that there is sufficient demand uh, for all of that uh, that corn that these guys are, are able to produce on, on a year-to-year basis and so you know that is those are our clear marching orders we are, are just wrapping up a strategic plan uh, at the National Corn Growers Association and it has a, a crystal clear laser-like focus uh, on demand creation so that we can attack that to billion bushel uh, pile of uh, corn surplus. A lot of corn to work through, that is for sure. On the flip side, I know soybeans balance sheet's a little bit tighter, but John, you guys are still, uh, I'm sure, like Neil, uh, looking at a lot of new uses for soybeans here in the U.S., right? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I'd be piggyback, piggybacking right on what Neil was saying. We're, we're all about finding the demand. Um, this is probably the best opportunity for soy farmers to get paid for the things they do on farm that we've ever seen. So um, we're really focusing on uh, further research, uh, biofuels, meal. You know, we've got 10 million metric tons of new meal capacity uh, coming online here in the next uh, five years or so. And uh, it's all switched on us. It, it used to be an oil-driven market, and we anticipate Soon it's going to be a meal-driven market, so our, our farmers are focused on finding homes for that meal. Well, I know, too, and I think both of you guys can talk about this from a corn and soy perspective, but uh, there's been a lot of talk about sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel, things like that, that both corn and soy uh, were finding new avenues to feed into that industry here as well. And I think it all speaks to a couple things, sustainability in the traditional sense, but also the economic sustainability of both the corn and soy industries, right? Uh, w w without question. I mean, when I think about sustainable aviation fuel, I, I get pretty excited. I mean, that yeah. is a, uh, an amazing uh, market opportunity for, for farmers. Um, and we are uh, working our, our tails off to ensure that we are positioned uh, to take advantage of it. You know, it kind of starts uh, with uh, two critical factors. That, that we need to address. You know, one, uh, we gotta uh, make sure that you know that that biofuels, that mm -hmm. corn, that um, that that soybeans qualify for the tax incentives that really kind of put us in the game. And so uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, we're working on that out in Washington, D.C. to ensure that the GREET model, um, which um, would allow for biofuels to be used, uh, is the, the model of choice um, in, in the, those tax credits. And then, you know, we obviously have to ensure from a competitive standpoint that our, our uh, CI score um, mm -hmm. is right there. And so there's a lot that uh, can be done, um, you know, at the, at the farm level and, and other places, efficiencies and otherwise uh, that will ensure that that biofuels uh, have, uh, have the opportunity to take advantage of that of that uh, that market John your perspective on just the economic sustainability of uh, of the soy industry and and how the checkoff plays a role in that yeah I, you know we're seeing uh, that biofuel market there's if you look at the goals that uh, the government has set for 2030 there's just absolutely no other feedstocks that can play a part in reaching that milestones if you're not using corn and soy. Um, nothing else can can mm -hmm. touch it in the next 10 years or so. So we are really focused on, on just like Neil said, we're redoing our carbon indexing. We're just finishing up a life cycle analysis for soy that, that progresses from the farm all the way through the National Oilseed Processors Association. Uh, so we've got new numbers for material coming off the farm, new numbers for tank trucks and rail cars and vessels of soybean oil. Um, it's really an exciting time. Very exciting time. Uh, and I, obviously, again, you guys are going to speak here and talk to all the folks in attendance. Uh, folks who are listening in, though, corn and soy farmers, I mean, what would you want them to take away here uh, as we begin a new year, early part of 2024? What would you want them to take away from about and all the work you guys are doing with the checkoffs and more and your work with corn growers and United Soybean Board? Uh, Neil, if you want to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just uh, want them to know that we, we've got their back. 
Um, and so, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of pressure right now, um, you know, in, in the, the corn world, uh, and we, we see it, we feel it, uh, and we are mobilized to respond to it. And so, um, you know, I, I, uh, you know, just thinking about our, our critical ethanol markets, obviously a lot of pressure from, um, just, the some of the, the EV mandates that, that we're feeling. And so, sure. uh, we're, we're working on a, a lot of different plays to, to ensure, uh, that, that ethanol will continue to be uh, a very uh, vital market that the internal combustion engine will, uh, remain, um, you know, on the road, uh, for, for many years to come so that we can actually kind of maintain those ethanol volumes that allow us to get to, uh, a sustainable aviation fuel kind of future, if we will. Um, and, uh, you know, we are, we are, are, are working around the clock to, to make sure um, that, uh, you know, those, those problems that they're feeling, you know, getting a farm bill done, obviously, mm-hmm. um, trying to, you know, shift from a, a defensive to an offensive posture on, on trade, you know, so that we can continue to sell uh, this corn that's at a really good price right now yeah. uh, around the globe. And so those are just uh, some of the ways that, that, that we're working uh, to ensure that there is sufficient demand uh, for, you know, for, um, you know, U.S. corn uh, here in the U.S. and obviously around the globe as well. John, the final thoughts from you on, on that same uh, thought train well, there. I just want soybean farmers to recognize that the 77 board members are laser focused on uh, optimizing the dollars that come into that checkoff system. And they just uh, are great stewards of the over 500,000 soybean farmers across the United States. And mm-hmm. they're uh, really, 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 really want to focus on new applications and getting that oil and meal placed. Well, and I think about a gentleman, you know, uh, we got to find these new avenues for corn and soy use to go along with uh, all the great work our farmers are doing, feeding and, and fueling the world. I mean, <laughs> when we think about it with every passing year, we just get better and better mm-hmm. uh, at production and more efficient, don't we, across this country? Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, I, you know, you, 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 um, you go back uh, 12, you know, I guess 10 yeah. months, and, uh, you know, we, th- we thought the story of the 2023, you know, crop year was going to be drought. And so, you know, s- you know, clearly we had to deal with that yet. Here we are, <laughs> you know, we, we produced an awesome crop yeah. uh, just across the board. And I think that that's a testament to the tools, the technologies, obviously, that are available to the American farmer, but more importantly, to just the, the farmer know-how and, and their ability to take those tools, take those practices and make an awesome crop year in, year out. Very, very true. Neil Kasky with the National Corn Growers Association, John Jansen with the United Soybean Board. Thank you both for joining me here on the show. Appreciate the time. Thanks, oh, thank you. Appreciate we'll be it. back. We'll have a conversation with Montana Senator John Tester next here on AOA. Wheat growers of the North, it's time to push performance to answer the call of Westbred Wheat. With regionally proven varieties like WB9590 and WB9479 with high protein, yield potential, and standability. Trust Westbred Wheat to help you get the most out of every acre. Now's the time. Boldly grow. Seize the season with Westbred Wheat. Performance may vary. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. The grins and oil seeds this morning are just hovering on either side of unchanged. Fats and feeders are higher while hogs are lower. Crude oil is about 1% higher currently. That's on fresh escalations in the Red Sea. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in the Middle East this week attempting to broker a truce between Israel and Palestine. As the war in Gaza approaches the four-month mark tomorrow, Blinken's trip started Monday in Saudi Arabia before heading to Egypt and ultimately ending in Israel tomorrow. Hopes are to achieve a ceasefire in Gaza as well as release of the remaining Israeli hostages being held in the Strip. Commodity markets would likely breathe a sigh of relief if a deal were to be reached. As tensions have grown more and more widespread in the region since the war's outbreak, that's leading to major disruptions in shipping through the Suez Canal and Red Sea. 
Now, more of these disruptions we're seeing today with the Iranian-backed Houthis of Yemen reportedly damaging yet another ship transiting the Red Sea while also firing at another. These attacks have continued despite U.S. and U.K. strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen, raising fears of additional escalation. The strikes are providing some support to crude oil markets as both WTI and Brent trade higher this morning after sharp losses last week. Chinese markets also saw their biggest jump in quite some time overnight with optimism from regular intervention pushing some of the prominent Chinese indexes to their largest daily gains in nearly two years. China's shaky economic footing as it reemerged from stringent COVID lockdowns has been very much in the spotlight for the last couple of years and those concerns coupled with foreign investment fleeing due to geopolitical tensions has driven a steep downtrend in Chinese markets. The VIX is cooling slightly, continuing to reflect relative ease on Wall Street as it hangs around the 13.5 level. While the U.S. dollar index has retreated from some of its highs this morning, and crude oil prices, they are about 1% higher currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, right now here on AOA Agriculture of America, we're going to step aside from our coverage here at the Northern Court at Soy Expo for just a little bit. I want to make sure I get to this interview. Uh, I was able to sit down on Friday with Montana Democratic Senator John Tester and talk to him about a wide host of issues. And I wanted to make sure that we got to this interview in a timely manner with all my travels and everything the last few days. Uh, So let's take a listen to this uh, conversation I had back on Friday with Montana Senator John Tester here on AOA. Senator Tester, it is great to have a conversation with you, sir. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well. It's indeed my pleasure to visit with you, Jesse, and and we're we're doing good. We got some stuff on the on 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 the plate, and we're we're going to get some good stuff done here. Well, speaking of stuff on the plate, uh, let's start with uh, this new bill to ban lab-grown meat from school cafeterias. I know there's been a lot of talk surrounding lab-grown meat and how they they try to use the the beef labels and things like that, et cetera, et cetera. So what is behind this bill that I know you are backing? Talk about this a little bit for us. Yeah. Well, this is a bill that uh, myself and my friend Senator Mike Rounds out of South Dakota dropped in. And it's it's basically to ban lab-grown meat in our school lunch program and school breakfast program. There aren't any standards around uh, lab-grown meat right now, uh, and and quite honestly, so this is this is trying to get ahead of the curve on this because I think our kids need to get the highest quality nutrition. And you know what, we raise the best quality of beef in the world, and that's not brag, that's fact. Our kids ought to be eating that; they shouldn't be eating something that's developed in a lab. And so we dropped this in, and uh, as a common sense piece of legislation, that's going to make sure our kids can serve real meat. Uh, that our that our ranchers grow, uh, not not some fake substitute is made in a lab. Well, and I think with this too, and kind of following up on that, you know, th- this has been a back and forth conversation. I feel like for quite some time now, in terms of you know l- this lab grown stuff and and where it's at in the food supply chain, and it just it feels like to me, Senator, common sense would say. It needs to be defined and labeled much better. And and to your point, you yep. know, why not put high quality beef uh, in, in our schools? That's that's one hundred percent correct, and that's exactly my point. Um, we raise 
great beef. It's due to a number of things. Our ranchers, top-notch genetics, process the beef in the right way, uh, meets nutritional standards that we need. This this lab lab stuff we don't know. And 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 quite honestly, we're talking about kids here. Mm-hmm. And if, if kids uh, can't get good nutrition in school, uh, then we ought to we, we just ensure that that happens. And that's what Rounds and I are doing with this bill. Um, fake fake meat is uh, something that I wouldn't want my kids eating, and I wouldn't want your kids eating, Jesse. And so. Uh, we're going to get ahead of it. And it, if they come up with standards on it and people want to eat this stuff, um, then uh, once the standards are there, we can have that debate. But right now, there's not even any standards. And so uh, this bill gets ahead of that problem. Another issue, you talk about how we grow all this great, uh, we raise all this great beef here and high-quality beef in America, Paraguayan beef. This is a topic that we're, that we're looking at imports of Paraguayan beef from a country with a rampant history of FMD and and other diseases. And this is one that for me, Senator Tester, I I try not to get on a soapbox very much, but to me, this makes zero sense why we would want to look at doing this. And I know you uh, are in agreement with that, I believe as well, in terms of uh, working on some legislation to stop Paraguayan imports uh, of beef from Paraguay, right? Absolutely. This makes so little sense that every major cattle group in America is on the same page. That doesn't happen very often. And the reason they're on the same page is because of foot and mouth disease, because people understand that we raise the best beef and this Paraguayan beef may not be the same standards. And, 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 and I think the USDA has relied on outdated incomplete data to make this decision. And so what Browns and I have done, once again, our friend Mike Rounds from South Dakota, uh, we uh, we are in process of doing a Congressional Review Act. What that will do is overturn this decision by the Biden administration, uh, because quite honestly, I think it's a bad decision. And uh, we're, we're gonna hopefully get this up next week. Uh, it's, a, it's a privileged motion. That means we're gonna get time on the floor and it's a simple majority vote, which is good. And we're also guaranteed a vote, so nobody can come up and table it or put it off. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do this, and hopefully we'll get a great vote out of the Senate. Because, like I said, this is this is just a wrong direction to go. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense in so many ways. And and, and I'm telling you, and you know this, anytime you're talking about diseases like foot and mouth disease that could devastate our livestock industry, any decisions around this stuff. Uh, has to has to be made very carefully. And I would tell you what else, you know, the consumer wants to eat good meat. And if they eat good meat, they'll come back and they'll buy it again and again and again. And I'm really concerned that this beef from Paraguay will not be the kind of meat that, that Americans are used to eating. Uh, some other cattle-related topics I can ask you about, too, real quick. I, I know you've uh, introduced the Bipartisan Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. Uh, also, I know yep. last January, uh, the American Beef Labeling Act as well to reinstate yep. uh, mandatory country of origin labeling. Uh, where do some of those pieces of legislation sit currently, Senator? So, so right now we're really focused on um, a bill that's been negotiated by both sides to take care of the southern border and get some money to Ukraine and 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 our on our uh, farm bill and the, the appropriation bills that all this should have been done a long time ago, months ago, but it isn't. Uh, what we're going to be doing as those bills pass is look for opportunities to put on mandatory country of origin labeling by a vote of the Senate. So it's not like you sneak it on at the day and night. Have, have, let's have the debate, put in an amendment form and, and see if we can get it detached. And the same thing with the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act. I think th- this is something that will help uh, negotiated prices uh, uh, for, for our market contracts. Uh, everybody knows that there's, you know, capitalism works really, really well unless there's consolidation. And I think we got far too much consolidation in, in the marketplace. Uh, you know, beef prices are good right now, but but doggone it, I, I want it to be a competitive market so that the producer and the consumer get a fair shake on all this stuff. And right now I don't think that's the case. So if we get Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act put on, 
that's a positive thing. If we get mandatory country of origin labeling, something that I've been working on uh, for 25, 30 years, and I feel it's really important because I'll tell you why, Jesse, people, the consumer goes to the grocery store and they see that USDA stamp that's been inspected and they assume it's USDA beef. And it may be USDA beef, but that stamp just says that it's good to eat and it passes inspection. If we had country of origin labeling, the consumer would go to the counter and say, you know what, this was raised in the USA, this was raised in Australia, Canada, consumer can make the decision and they know what they're eating. You mentioned Farm Bill in there, too, and I, I got to ask for any sort of update you might have in terms of us getting a new five-year Farm Bill done. I, I know we got to get the appropriation stuff figured out first before we can move no, on to Farm no. Bill, but where, yeah, where no, do things so, stand? So right now, I can tell you that the Ag Committee and the Senate is working hard on on getting things through. There's there's some debate around where the reference price needs to be and how we're going to pay for that. Look, things. my perspective, things have changed since 2018. Uh, input costs are, are higher and significantly higher. That reference, that means it costs more to raise a bushel of wheat than it did in 2018. That reference price needs to reflect that. And hopefully the Ag Committee can can come together and and, and bump, bump that stuff up so it, it's reflective of 2024 challenges. And keep in mind, this farm bill is not only for 2024, it's for the next five years. So uh, we need something that's going to work, work as good as the 2018 farm bill did, because I think it worked pretty darn good. And if we're able to get that done, and I think there's a bipartisan effort to do exactly that, uh, then then I ho- I hopefully we'll have a bill we can vote on in short order and get it passed, get it to the president's desk. There's been a little bit of chatter. It seems like that there's maybe some disconnect and back and forth between Democrats and Republicans in some of the things to go into this farm bill. At least I've heard some of that chatter maybe you know, from Chairwoman Stabenow and, and Ranking Member Bozeman. Uh, are, are you seeing anything to that nature, any sort of disconnect? You know, some maybe want a little more towards the nutrition side versus some of the farm programs. Uh, your perspective, I mean, are, are you seeing or hearing anything of that nature right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it all revolves around money and where it's going to come from and who's going to pay for it. And is this a good investment from, for America's food security and, and all that? Look, I, I believe strongly in the production agriculture side of the farm bill and the food nutrition side of the farm bill. I think folks need to sharpen their pencils up around here when it comes to a lot of this stuff we spend money on. Uh, but, but look, I think there's a sweet spot to be found uh, on the farm bill that really will help family farmers uh, survive. And, and really, you know, with, with the droughts and with the markets, we really do need that safety net if we're going to have food security in the country. And, and I do think that, that uh, there's a real, uh, a real want to come together to to get this farm bill done, and I think it's going to happen. Unfortunately, there's been uh, there, there, there's been too much uh, too much dancing, I guess, and and not enough getting the job done. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get get the size to come together and do it. But no, there, it, it's all about money, Jesse. That's what it is. Where are you going to get the money? How much are you going to spend? How much is this going to cost? And by the way, those debates are important to have. But at some point in time, you got to get to a resolution. Well, I, I, I liked how you put that a little bit too much dancing and maybe not necessarily getting things uh, getting things finished, but hopefully we can get things finished soon. And, and that's uh, I think that's the goal that a lot of folks in rural America want to see in terms of a farm bill. Senator, really appreciate the time. I've enjoyed the conversation here today. Thanks for joining us on AOA. And uh, we'll look forward to getting you back on the program again real soon when there's uh, more news to talk about and share. So thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Jesse. Thank you much. All right. And once again, a conversation I had back on Friday with Montana Senator John Tester, able to uh, bring that to you here finally on AOA. Really great conversation with him. All right. Coming up, we will wrap up our coverage here at the Northern Quarter at Soy Expo in Fargo on the way right after this on AOA. Now, we tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, 
one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient centered care. Working in state of the art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, Courtney Hall, Senior Director of Sustainability with CHS, will provide a low-carbon fuel standard update. Courtney, what is a low-carbon fuel standard, or LCFS for short? Low-carbon fuel standard are rules that are developed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the transportation sector. They're developed state by state and are often the driving force behind the use of renewable fuels in that state. Well, what constitutes a low-carbon fuel? Well, low-carbon fuel is pretty simple and straightforward. It provides energy but reduces the amount of greenhouse gas emissions, or carbon, compared to a conventional fossil fuel. There are a lot of very familiar low-carbon fuels that you know your listeners might be very familiar with. Ethanol is an example of a low-carbon fuel. Biodiesel, renewable diesel, those are all examples of low-carbon fuels. Well, what states have adopted a LCFS and do you see it growing? So California was the first state to adopt a low carbon fuel standard. They started implementing theirs in 2011. So they've been at this for some time. Their goal is to reduce 20% of emissions by 2030. Oregon is the next state that came on with a low carbon fuel standard. It is mostly modeled on the California program. And the latest one is Washington State. Their program went into effect January 1 of last year. We do think that other states are watching what's happening on the West Coast, and they're starting to kick around their own LCFS programs. There are likely developments happening in Illinois and Minnesota. Why should farmers care about low-carbon fuels? Renewable fuels, you know, they start from the farm. They're based on crops grown on the farm, corn, soy, etc. So these fuel standards are creating demand for these types of commodities. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Agriculture of America as we are getting ready to wrap things up here from the Northern Corn and Soy Expo in Fargo, North Dakota. Jesse Allen back with you. And right now we're going to talk policy on a national level. 
Joining us right now, Christy Seifert, Executive Director of Government Affairs with the American Soybean Association. Christy, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having us. And Wayne Stolzkoff, Director of Public Policy with the National Corn Growers Association. Wayne, great to have you here as well. Good morning. Thank you. Let's talk what's going on for policy priorities for corn and soybean growers in D.C. And I have to think top of mind is probably what's going on with this farm bill. And I know negotiations are still ongoing. It's a lot of chatter out there. Can we get this done before the presidential election? Are we going to have to push to 2025? I guess, what is the latest uh, you both are hearing? Christy, if you want to start. We would love to see a new and improved farm bill cross the finish line this year. We've been working on this now for a couple of years, messaging about the importance of improvements to Title I, farm safety net for soybean farmers and many others, protecting crop insurance, investing in trade promotion uh, to expand and diversify trade opportunities and protecting the soy checkoff. We want to make sure that those priorities and some other ones get included into a bill. Um, you know, I think it was it was really helpful that the Congress passed and the president enacted an extension in the fall to buy a little bit more time for negotiators to continue working. And we are we are certainly standing behind our committee leaders in hopes that we can get a new and improved farm bill done this year. Wayne, thoughts and perspectives from the corn side? We absolutely hear from the committees that they are locked into negotiations. They're talking every day at both the member level, staff level about the improvements that we're all seeking really among the commodity title, the crop insurance title, the trade promotion programs, voluntary conservation. One of the big challenges is that there's a lot of requests and a lot of them cost money and, and the budget picture is not clear yet. They need to have a bipartisan budget agreement that will allow them to understand where they can make them improvements and, and where some of those costs will come from. And so until we get that, it'll be hard for them to put a bill on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're, we're confident that they are working as hard as possible to get it done as quickly as possible. We're hopeful that the appropriations process will a little clear the deck and give them that time and space to do it with the certainty about the budget. Um, but we're, we're trying to be prepared for all of these scenarios, a, a bill moving mm -hmm. this spring, maybe the summer or the fall, and even if it does have to be extended to 2025, the priorities that we're laying out now, the conversations we're having with members are really important and will lay the foundation for whenever the bill passes. It, it sounded, too, like a, a lot of the conversation is trying to find new money. And there's really not any new money out there to put into a farm bill as we look at the reference prices and things like that. I mean, is that some of the sticking point that you both are hearing that we're just we're trying to figure out how to fund a new five year farm bill? You know, I think budget is clearly very important. And, uh, you know, last year, ASA led a letter to our um, ag committees, budget committees, asking for additional resources to write a new farm bill. 400 national, regional organizations signed onto that letter. So clearly a lot of interest in farm country. Clearly a lot of budget hurdles in Congress to, mm -hmm. to making that happen, but we have no doubt there are um, creative minds, strategic minds. Hopefully um, they can work some magic and, and figure out some funding uh, options that are workable for us to, to tackle some of these priorities and ensure that farmers' interests are uh, are represented in the new and improved farm bill. Yeah. Wayne, your thoughts on that? Sure. The overall five-year farm bill is expected to be the most expensive in the projections. We're really watching closely. The Congressional Budget Office will have a new baseline out this week that will project what prices are going to be for the next 10 years and what those existing programs look like. Mm -hmm. And a bulk of that funding is in the nutrition programs and that those costs have really escalated. So there are funds available. It's just a question of how they'll be prioritized among the overall farm bill. And it takes a bipartisan product. And so there's a lot of different coalitions and folks within agriculture, within food that are really working at their angles. And, and that has to all come together at some point and be something that we can all support and, and get it across the finish line. we got a couple minutes here before we run out of time on the show today. Other policy priorities uh, that uh, both of your organizations are working on here this year on behalf of quartered soy farmers. Christy, I'll start with you on the soy side. What are some other priorities? Two, two other issues that I want to mention. Uh, 
boy, the, the access to crop protection products is clearly top of mind for farmers with all of the activity and steps the Environmental Protection Agency has uh, taken to uh, to try and come into compliance with Endangered Species Act um, requirements. And so uh, we have we have weighed in heavily and continue to weigh in heavily to make sure that farmers are not uh, hit with expensive uh, mitigations or at least have the opportunity to apply product to, to their fields and produce a crop every year. The other one really quickly I wanna mention is uh, the importance of the soy checkoff. This is farmer-led, farmer-funded, unlocks a lot of market marketing opportunities for our for our soy farmers we got to make sure that it remains viable and protected from legislative attack all right definitely wayne uh thoughts from your side other priorities sure i'll touch on two demand issues the first is domestic and always looking to expand the biofuel space particularly ethanol year-round e15 should be something that is national and something that would allow for more of our homegrown products to be in the gas tank. And it's been a push to get that enacted overall, but something that we're continuing to fight for. And the second is to look further into the future. We have our, um, we call it NGFA, the the, the national- um, Granted feed? <laughs> it's not national granted feed, oh. that's why I'm getting confused. Uh, <laughs> it is our, our, our biofuels policy, our look towards the future, okay. uh, Next Generation Fuels Act. There yes, we go, NGFA. Okay that would help set some of the, the future policies in, in the biofuel space that would allow even greater access for, for those products across the country. And the second demand issue is, is international. We have an mm -hmm. a issue right now with Mexico that we're working through the USMCA process to allow continued access for, for all types of corn to go into Mexico, which is our number one international buyer. And we need to strengthen those relationships and continue to have markets for our product, both domestically and internationally. Well, with that, we are out of time. Wayne, Christy, I appreciate you both joining me here at the Northern Corn Soy Expo. Thanks for filling us in on some of the issues uh, from the corn and, and soy side. We really appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Jesse. All right, we're out of time here on today's AOA. Coming up tomorrow, it is the February episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association. We'll also talk with Emily Score from Growth Energy. Have a fantastic rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look, listen, live. For more info, go to oli.org. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare.